Hello and welcome to Poetry Blokes, the podcast where one bloke likes poetry and the other doesn't. I'm Matthew Adamo, failed novelist, third-rate poet, and now a beleaguered poetry teacher. And I'm Rich Gochran, a moderately successful engineer and lifelong lover of things that actually matter, like football, cricket, and the ability to make stuff out of wood. I don't hate poetry, but I do think it's a lot of words, in a confusing order, to say very little. Join us in this series of podcasts as we rummage into the recesses of Rich's mind, pull forth any literary force that may be lying dormant, and see if the world's most literal man can acquire the soul of a poet. He doesn't even believe in souls, so I've got my work cut out already. This week we're looking at Do Not Go Gentle Into That Good Night by Dylan Thomas. Note warning, might get quite heavy in this podcast, just so that it doesn't surprise you if it comes up. Two people I know have died recently, and it made me think of them both. Do not go gentle into that good night. Old age should burn and rave at close of day. Rage, rage against the dying of the light. Though wise men at their end no dark is right. Because their words had fork no lightning, they do not go gentle into that good night. Good men, the last wave by, crying how bright their frail deeds might have danced in a green bay. Rage, rage against the dying of the light. Wild men who caught and sang the sun in flight, and learn, too late, they grieved it on its way. Do not go gentle into that good night. Grave men near death, who see with blinding sight, blind eyes could blaze like meteors and be gay. Rage, rage against the dying of the light. And you, my father, there on the sad height, curse, bless me now with your fierce tears, I pray. Do not go gentle into that good night. Rage, rage against the dying of the light. So rich. What is that all about? Hello, mate. Hello. Matt, you've done it. I really love this poem. Hooray! That is great news. Not only because I love Dylan Thomas, he's a great poet, but also there are many poetical things happening in this poem, and it's not necessarily the most straightforward. So I'm interested that you enjoyed that factor of it. For the first time about a poem... I have so, I have some thoughts on it, but more than that, I genuinely want to find out about it a bit more. There's bits I don't understand that I'd like to try and get my head around, and there's bits I think I do understand that I'd like you to see if you think I'm interpreting it in a, a grown-up way rather than my childish ranting and ravings. <laughs> <laughs> well, let's dig into it. So the first thing to say is that this is the first poem I've read where I have had a genuine emotional reaction to it. Wow, yeah. There's lots going on in my life, as you know. Just a particularly emotional time. Sleep isn't one of those things, that's why. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, absolutely. The absence of sleep has made me tearful and agitated. Even with my first reading of it, right, the emotion of it came through immediately. It's clearly a really... Written at a time of enormous emotional stress for, for Dylan and comes through immediately. So it got me hooked. It hooked me in with that, I think. 
but yeah, like I was saying, there's bits I think I understand, there's bits I don't understand. So let's just let's get into it, mate. Yeah, crack on. So do not go gentle into that good night. Old age should burn and rave at the close of day. Rage, rage against the dying of the light. I think that's pretty self-explanatory. He's easing me in there. Old age should burn and rave at the close of day. It might help you to know that Dylan Thomas, we'll go into this later, but Dylan Thomas is quite a fairly complex figure, but a bit of a boozer, I'd say, and sort of well known for it. So I think that might tie in. I think his outlook on life might tie into that line there. So old age should burn and rave at close of day. My personal opinion would be that that's how Dylan Thomas wanted to go out, basically, as, you know, boozing it up and go wild. And that's what he's saying. Your old age should be like, you should be doing whatever you like in your old age, not necessarily being ill or being confined in some way. Yeah, go out in a blaze of glory. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, that's one way to go, isn't it? I'm going to go out in a blaze of mediocrity. (laughs) If you live a fairly clean and sober life and you get into your 70s, I'm all for people just sort of taking up drinking and maybe more illicit activities because like literally if you're at that point in your own life and you're like you know what i'm old and you gotta go sometime just go hog wild why not just go out in a casino you know what i mean like live like a poet in his 20s yes absolutely get in a boat in italy marry a cousin that seems (laughs) otherwise that seems to be a theme no we don't we do not endorse that actually no that's legal isn't it we're fine with that i suppose that's fine yeah i'm not casting any aspersions marry who you want love is love (laughs) <laughs> just I mean yeah, try and keep some degree of familial separation keep it legal, keep it I'm, legal. Gonna, I'm gonna go out there <laughs> and say I'm gonna say keep it illegal I'm, I'm a, poetry blokes messages love is love but keep it legal <laughs> <laughs> yeah I mean this is this is dangerous ground let's move out of this ground I have two two favourite stanzas I've never had favourite stanzas before Matt you didn't know what a stanza was at the start of this journey. And this is how far we've come. I know. You know what a stanza is. You can point them out and you've got, you've got bloody favourites now. So I'm excited to hear. Mm. So the second one's my first favourite. And then the second from last is my rather favourite. So the second stanza is the one that I think I've understood, right? And I think there's layers to it. Who knew there were layers in poetry, eh? Again, yeah i know i I mean i did but uh and other people do but you now know as well so welcome to the club of layers (laughs) (laughs) though wise men at their end know dark is right now i took that to mean well first of all i took it to mean that dylan considers himself wise because you wouldn't say that unless you already knew it so by definition you must think he's wise and then i thought about it a little bit harder so the wise men out there end no dark is right. So anybody with any sense about them knows that death is inevitable. This is what I took that to mean. Yeah. Everyone's got to go at some time. So you know, there's no point in fighting it. And the second line, because their words had fought no lightning. So that I took to mean they're not gods. They're not immortal. So if their words fought no lightning, if they, could, if they can't command lightning, like old Zeusy boy, then they're not gods, they're not immortal. And so the first back to the first line, death is inevitable. There you go. And they do not go gentle into that good night. And they do not go gentle into that good night. So then it's saying, by knowing that, don't fuck about, get stuck in. I don't know if you spotted this, but throughout the poem, he talks of different types of men. I did spot this. 
This is good. Fun. That is good. Wise men, good men, wild men, grave men. WGWG. Exactly. Yeah. Though wise men at their end, no dark is right. Because their words had forked no lightning, they do not go gentle into that good night. I wonder if he's saying wise men always take a stance and never cower in front of it because they have wisdom on their side. So they take the wise path and they stand by their beliefs, if you like. And therefore they didn't fork lightning, as in they didn't spread the load or, or try and undermine themselves by saying one thing and doing another. They've always stayed steadfast to what they were saying. And is that an aspect of wisdom? And therefore, because they did that, they do not go gentle into that good night. They rave against it, which is what Dylan Thomas is suggesting that people should do. Nah, it's the God thing, mate. Okay, cool. <laughs> what about good men? Sorry, to be flippant. <laughs> we got 15 years of this in the bank. So. This comes back to my original point about poetry, which I'm now starting to soften on, which is what's the point of saying something and not being explicit about it and clear? This poem has maybe opened my eyes to that a little bit and thought maybe hiding those meanings a little bit isn't all, isn't all bad. So the good men. I've just written Matt needs some help on this one because I can't pick out what's being said really. Good men, the last wave by, he's lost me already there really. Crying how bright their frail deeds might have danced in the green bay. I think the key... Their frail deeds might have danced in the Green Bay. I think he's slagging them off. Oh, no. As opposed to some of the other ones. So he says, good men, the last wave by, crying how bright their frail deeds might have danced in the Green Bay. I see. So good men are talking about all the things they could have done, all the things that yeah. might have been, rather than exactly, being a yeah. bold man and, and just doing stuff, being a top lad, getting out there. Yeah, exactly. So in Dylan Thomas's frame of reference, if you do it properly, you are therefore not a good man. He's not interested in good men. I think it's because he accepted that he was not one of them and therefore didn't really value them and thought they were a bit boring. So yeah, he's sort of slagging them off here. Wow. But I think what's an, sorry, another significant thing there is that they're still raging against the dying of the light. So Dylan Thomas is saying, do not go gentle into that good night. You should rage against the dying of the light. Good men are still complaining but the final line of that stanza is rage, rage against the dying of the light. The men who begin with W then, they shouldn't go gently into that good night. The good men, they should be raging against it, counter to their personality. Yeah, it's almost like there's some sort of element of redemption there. So like rage, rage against the dying of the light so that you live and that you can have a chance of being a wise man or a wild man. Right. <laughs> Don't give into it. And is there any significance of the Green Bay? There probably is, but I actually don't know. Their frailties might have danced in a green bay. Big fan of the green bay factors. <laughs> yeah, I could speculate. I mean, Dylan Thomas is Welsh, so I don't know whether there's a link to oh. the geography and topography of Wales. Are you telling me there's another the opportunity bay. for accent? If you've got a Welsh one. Oh boy, have I got a Welsh one? <laughs> so no. <laughs> <laughs> you've got the list now, Ireland and Wales. Apologies to Ireland and Wales. And also, was Scotland in there? I haven't done have Scottish. I, just I can them? do Scottish. No. Have I done Australian? Basically, you name an accent, I can do it. But so far, I've offended the Irish. And now the Welsh. Although, again, direct descendant of both. So can it be offensive if you're closely related? I don't know. I certainly hope not, because I predicate a lot of my jokes um, on being either Irish or Italian. <laughs> yeah, it's your entire repertoire. Yeah, it is my entire repertoire, yeah. 
We'll sing Men of Harlock at the end of this to make up for it. I, I bloody love Men of Harlock, <laughs> so, obviously. So do I. So <laughs> inspiring. Tongues of fire. No, we, okay, we, well, we'll save it for later. You know what? I've sung on an episode, and may I say, when I listened to it back, I actually thought that wasn't too bad. <laughs> Is it my turn to do Men of Harlock? It's your turn to this? sing, so... I'll do it, I'll do it, I'll do it, I'll do it. I'll pack myself up. Get the lyrics up, and in the background, have a little read through, and at the end of this episode, you can sing Men of Harlock. Oh, uh, yeah. Today I'm drinking No Bad Days, an IPA by the Hop Kettle Brewing Company. And do you know what? I'm also drinking a beer from the Hop Kettle Brewing Company, and it is the Optimist Pilsner. Mm. Hop Kettle are craft brewery, and they're based in Swindon and Cricklade. So big shout out to Wiltshire <laughs> and the West Country there. And they sell lots of lovely award-winning craft beers. And they deliver all over the place. So go to www.hop-kettle.com and you can order on their online shop. And they've also got a few beers on English Heritage. And I mean the English Heritage. www.english-heritageshop.org.uk So what are your thoughts on No Bad Days? Well, mine's 5.6%, mate. So... Drunk already? Won't even get to the end of this podcast. Not without me making a few... Threats. <laughs> I've got a lovely mild 4%. Oh, yeah. Lovely. Yeah, I get four thumbs up. Where are you getting the other two thumbs from? A couple of mates. <laughs> you haven't got any mates. <laughs> yeah, they're your thumbs. Oh, sorry. Oh, Let's right. tell you. <laughs> You're giving all my thumbs as well as your thumbs. That's good to me. <laughs> How about them? Well, we're going to be drinking that throughout the remainder of the show. So thank you, Hop Kettle Brewery. And everyone should go to hop-kettle.com and go and buy their beers. Support them and support Poetry Blokes too. Wild men who caught and sang the sun in flight. That's a good line, isn't it? I like that. Yeah, line. it's a lovely line, yeah. And learned too late they grieved it on its way. So yeah, again, I found this really hard. Like I feel like he's conveyed what he means, but I've got absolutely no idea what's just been said. It's sort of about conveying the feeling of a concept. Yeah. Or a mood. And you're sort of like, yeah, I do know that, but also moods and concepts don't necessarily correlate to language necessarily so yeah. I, th- I think in this one wild men who caught and sang the sun in flight i think again sort of surreptitiously thomas is aligning himself to a wild man i think he likes this element and i think he probably say that he encapsulates that so wild men who caught and sang the sun in flight are people who sort of seize the moment and make the most of life yeah and learn too late they grieved it on its way i think that implies a sort of they shouldn't have wasted it, their time about the fact that the days move on, they should have just focused on harnessing as much positivity from it as possible. Yeah. Because who caught and sang the sun in flight? It mean you can't, you can't catch the sun. Yeah, and who's in flight? The, the sun's in flight, presumably, or the wild men. The sun is in flight across the sky. So is it like saying, like wild men playing with fire, they're going to get burnt, but because they're wild, it's all, it's all gone by, it's all happened already. It's all too late, so... They learn too late that... I think the sun here is not literal. I think he's referencing the sun, but he's more referencing the associations that you might have with the sun. I think the associations that he's talking about are, are things like happiness and joy and, and spur of the moment. I think what he's saying is what wild men who caught <laughs> and sang... But that's not what I associate with the sun. See, that's the problem. If you tell me sun... <laughs> I, do not, I do not associate happiness and joy with the sun. <laughs> no, I don't. I think, number one... Burning ball of gas. Yeah, I think burning ball of gas, then I think gravity, and then I think photosynthesis. Can I just say, actually, as a slight aside, everyone after this episode 
if you've got a moment, just go and read about the sun and like what the sun is made of and the size of the sun because it is absolutely insane. None of it makes sense to me. I read all the words at the end of an article about the sun. I'm like, okay. And then I sit and think about it for two minutes. And I'm like, none of that makes sense. That's like poetry for me. <laughs> yeah, it's the same thing. Maybe that should be our Christmas episode is that we talk about the sun. Bloody loves to talk about the sun. Yeah, let's do that. Fishing. Well, anyway, these wild men, they know how to live a life, I think is what Dylan Thomas is saying. Right. And these grave men, though, not so much. Oh, no, so this, I like this one. And again, I feel like I had a decent stab at understanding it. Like, much like the previous one, you're going to tell me that you have a different interpretation, but you're not as good at poems as me anymore. So, The student has become the master. We could do an Instagram poll for our 50 listeners. <laughs> On what? Who's all right about the second stanza? Is it about... Not being gods and mortality, or is it what you said? I think I might lose that one, so yes. I don't know if I want to go along with it. Batty, mate. Brave men near death who see with blinding sight, blind eyes could blaze like meteors and be gay. So I took that to be that men who are grave men, so sensible men, get to their point of death and have a sudden epiphany that even flawed things like blind eyes. There's joy and happiness in that. Things don't have to be perfect to be good. And you should just get on with it and enjoy it. Don't be all sensible and boring about it. I think the grave men have the blind eyes. Because right. throughout, the, throughout this poem, Dylan has sort of made a point of all these wild, crazy people are the ones that really understand life and all these boring, sensible people don't. Yeah, And these grave men near death suddenly see with blinding sight, so they have a realisation at the end of life, that blind eyes could blaze like meteors and be gay. I think that what he's saying is grave men at the end of life have a sudden realisation that actually they could have been fun. They could have lived their life differently and they could have blazed like meteors and be gay. They could have enjoyed what the wild men in the previous stanza were enjoying. Yeah. So it's sort of like this end of life repentance or absolution. And then again, it goes into rage, rage against the dying of the light, which is, as we mentioned previously, Thomas's attempt at telling people, actually, no, don't go into the light, come back and live a slightly different life, which is more fun, essentially. Yeah, rage against it, rage against that. I'm thinking out loud now. So, Dom, you may have to cut some of this. It's all but is that light then the goodness? Because the, the night is death, presumably. And he's saying to those mild mannered, the gentle. The good man and the grave man. Rage against the dying of the... Yeah, he's saying rage against the dying of the light. So rage against the ending of your life. Yeah. Fight to live. Don't simply just go into that good night because you've got a chance to change things. And to fight to live, do more punches. <laughs> and then in the final stanza, he brings it all together by speaking about his father. Thomas juxtaposes things together, quite uh, some contrasting images. So he's got his father on the sad height, curse, and then bless, yeah, and then fierce, and then tears, and then you've got the night and the light. But what I want to do is hand over to you for this final stanza and just ask you, what do you think? What are his emotions or his response to his father and his father's possible death? Confused and stormy. Yeah. I feel like they have a tumultuous relationship. Obviously, Burns loves his dad, but I feel like they may have had a tense relationship. He's confused about 
his death and what that means, and it's throwing up lots of emotions that potentially he buried on and down there. To paraphrase, it's fucked him up. Well, yeah, there's also an element, a sort of a new element in the poem where I think it's the first occasion that he uses the first person when he says, I pray. So there's a sort of innocence and vulnerability there. So he says, curse, bless me now with your fierce tears, I pray. And then a sort of more begging from Dylan Thomas's side, really. Do not go gentle into the ga- that good night. Rage, rage against the dying of the light. So he spends the earlier parts of the poem telling other people yeah. how they should be, really. Yeah. And then the, in the final, when it comes to his father, and he doesn't tell his father to do anything, really. He begs his father to do certain things to curse to bless him now with his fierce tears mm-hmm. and to not go gentle into that good night and to rage rage against the dying of the light so to fight to stay alive it's deep isn't it it is deep isn't it's it it's deep and you said to me are you sure you want to do another poem about death um, yeah but sometimes they just slip death in there when you're not expecting it but this one it's like the theme and so I've got less of a problem with it and I would also argue, that's a really twee thing to say, I was just about to say. What's that? It's not about death, man. It's about life. <laughs> <laughs> well, it kind of is about it life. Is. It's, 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 it's about how you live your dying, life. It's about not dying, isn't it? It's about how you live your life and about yeah. not going gently into that good night, you know, not just fading away. Leave your mark. Tear shit up whilst you have the chance. That's a lovely message. <laughs> I wanted to talk about the form of this poem as well, actually, because it's, it's fairly key. Yeah. I just want to ask to kick off. Did you notice anything about this poem in particular? Um, about the way it's structured, to give you a hint. So the things I picked out in no particular order. The men bit that we've already discussed. Yep. Um, and then the interchange of rage, rage against the dying of the light. Do not yep. go gently into that night. Yeah, excellent. There's a rhyming scheme, obviously. First line and last line. Yep. And then the middle line of each one rhymes. All good stuff. And then at the end, it just yeah, it goes freestyle. Yeah, so this is a form of poetry, which I have to say, of all of the sort of structured forms of poetry, is my favourite. It's a villanelle, which is a French form of poetry. It gives it sort of lyrical quality. It's, but you're absolutely right. It's based the on... The, uh, the, God, who murders people in that Killing Eve show? The Villanelle, really? I think so. I never really got into Killing I'm, Eve. I know, I I'm, so, I'm so I've sorry. I've just seen it on Gogglebox because I don't watch telly anymore. I just summarise it all in one show. I don't watch telly. I just watch other people watching telly. <laughs> Meta. Well, I watch YouTube channels about boat building, mate. I haven't got time for it. Well, popular. Fair play to you. Yeah, so it's a French lyrical form uh, which is based on repetition and the rhyme scheme that you just mentioned. Right. And I always really liked it because it gives a sort of subtle emphasis to things that structure and you obviously have first line and the third line of the first stanza they have to be really strong lines because they occur throughout the whole poem and they really they're a thread that runs throughout and then the final stanza is like a culmination of those two things so i just want to point it out because i think my personal opinion do not go gentle into that good night is one of the finest depictions of a villanelle in the english language Sylvia Plath also wrote a great one. I don't think it's um, that famous. Uh, she was also rumoured to be very talented writing Villanelles. So just if you want to check that out, that also is good. Interesting. That is new information. I just Googled it. The Girl in Killing Eve is called Villanelle. Excellent. So, good knowledge. There you go. 
bit of popular culture. Did you want to know a little bit about Dylan Thomas himself, the man himself? Yeah, I'd love to hear about Dylan. Please, tell me more. Okay, well, apologies for any mispronunciations here, but I'm, I'm going to go with it. Dylan Marley Thomas was born on October 27th, 1914 in Swansea, Wales. His father was an English literature professor at the local grammar school and would often recite Shakespeare, fortifying Thomas's love for the rhythmic ballads of Jared Manley Hopkins, W.B. Yeats and Edgar Allan Poe. Thomas dropped out of school at 16 to become a junior reporter for the South Wales Daily Post. By December 1932, he left his job at the Post and decided to concentrate on his poetry full-time. It was during this time in his late teens that he wrote more than half of his collected poems. In his late teens, he's doing it again. He's cramming everything in. In 1934, when Thomas was 20, he moved to London, won the Poets' Corner Book Prize and published his first book of poem, 18 Poems, to great acclaim. The book drew from a collection of poetry notebooks that he had written years earlier, as would many of his popular books. Unlike his contemporaries T.S. Eliot and W.H. Auden, Thomas was not concerned with exhibiting themes of social and intellectual issues, and his writing, with its intense lyricism and highly charged emotion, had more in common with the Romantic tradition. Thomas describes his technique in a letter. I make one image, though make is not the right word. I let, perhaps, an image be made emotionally in me and then apply it to what intellectual and critical forces I possess. I let it breed another, let that image contradict the first, make of the third image bred out of the other two together, a fourth contradictory image, and let them all, within my imposed formal limits, conflict. Two years after the publication of 18 Poems, Thomas met the dancer Caitlin McNamara at a pub in London. At the time, she was the mistress of a painter, Augustus John. McNamara and Thomas engaged in an affair and married in 1937. In 1940, Thomas and his wife moved to London. He had served as an anti-aircraft gunner, but was rejected for more active combat due to illness. To avoid the air raids, the couple left London in 1944. They eventually settled at Logan in the boathouse, where Thomas would write many of his later poems. In 1947, Thomas was awarded a travelling scholarship from the Society of Authors, I want one of those. <laughs> he took his family to Italy, and while in Florence, he wrote In Country Sleep and Other Poems, which includes his most famous poem, Do Not Go Gentle, Into That Good Night. When they returned to Oxfordshire, Thomas began work on three film scripts for Gainsborough Films. The company soon went bankrupt, but Thomas's scripts, Me and My Bike, Rebecca's Daughters, and The Beach at Failsa, were made into films. They were later collected in Dylan Thomas, the film script. In January 1950, at the age of 35, Thomas visited America for the first time. His reading tours of the United States, which did much to popularise the poetry reading as a new medium for the art, are famous and notorious. Thomas was the archetypical romantic poet of the popular American imagination. He was theatrical, engaged in roaring disputes in public, and read his work aloud with tremendous depth of feeling. Thomas toured America four times, with his last public engagement taking place at the City College of New York. A few days later, he collapsed in the Chelsea Hotel after a long drinking bout at the White Horse Tavern. On November the 9th, 1953, he died at St. Vincent's Hospital in New York City at the age of 39. He had become a legendary figure, both for his work and the boisterousness of his life. He was buried in Logan, and almost 30 years later, a plaque to Dylan was unveiled in the Poets' Corner of Westminster Abbey. Another interesting life then, Crammed it all in. Crammed it in. Um, at the bottom of the version of the poem I read, 
he's smoking a fag and looking really cool. Yeah, he, yeah, he's a bit of that. Would you now like to give us your engineer's overview of the poem, Rich? Well, Matt, shock news. I didn't feel I could write a summary. Oh, he's broken you. Dylan Thomas has broken you, and there's no shame in that because he's great. You just want to leave her there. You're just going to leave the silence. Leave her there. I'm not going to summarise that one. He's nailed it. That's how much I liked it. That is quite a compliment, actually. Also, we ran out of time. <laughs> no, that's not true, actually. I actually I made a genuine decision to not summarise it. Oh, well, okay. Well, on that note, I suppose all that leaves us to say is join us next week for our Christmas episode where we change things up. And as you heard previously, Rich has already given me a task. So I am going to read about the sun and then report back in a little role reversal, which I think William Billy Shakespeare would be proud of. So join us next week where we look at the sun. Not directly. Never look directly <laughs> at the sun. Shall the voice of wailing now be unavailing? You to rouse who never yet in battle's hour failing. This our answer crowds downpouring, swift as winter torrents roaring. Not in vain, the voice imploring calls on harlot men. Do you have a well-known poem you'd like us to discuss? Or maybe you've written your own engineer's overview you'd like to share? And if you have an embarrassing poetry-related story, well, then you definitely have to get in touch. Go to poetryblokes.com forward slash submissions now to let us know all about it and you could play a part in the next show. Poetry Blokes is created and hosted by Matthew Adamo and Richard Gochran. Our theme music is Press Start by The Laszlo Project. Buy their music by going to bandcamp.com and searching The Laszlo Project. Our producer is Dominic Gore. Um, what are you even bring to the podcast anymore? <laughs> Beers, so go f*** <laughs> yourself. <laughs> <laughs>